Hi, everybody. It's Sunday evening, and I hope you had a wonderful week. Um, and hopefully everybody has tomorrow off that you can relax and get some work done. Um, seems to be a little bit of an oxymoron now that I've said it. Um, so just wanted to applaud everybody for your great posts this week um, and the behavior um, reflection forms were fantastic. Um, they really reflected to me. They showed me that that you um, are really grabbing a hold of the content and internalizing it and making making good sense of it. Um, so thank you and thank you for all of your threaded discussion posts. Um, make sure that you are citing sources for your posts, please. Um, they are intended to be uh, research-based um, posts. Um, and again, as I mentioned in the announcements, your posts um, can use additional research that you have done, but any of that your ideas that you have need to be supported by um, either our research or any research that you've done on your own. Um, so, Anyway, good job, and let's move into the lecture for this week. Um, we are transitioning now um, away from classroom management and into the second of three sections of the class, which is uh, planning. Um, and so I think this is a good, this is a really good week for us to transition because we're sort of marrying the two ideas that of classroom management and good instructional practice and knowing that they are really hand in hand, that you can't uh, have good classroom management unless you have good pedagogy. So um, going to slide two. So this is our overview for the week. Um, you've got your lecture and podcast um, and you have um, as your resources. So your to-do list includes your lecture and your podcast, um, listening and reading, um, completing your threaded discussion by Wednesday night for your initial post and your two to three follow-up posts on Sunday by Sunday evening. Your reading reflection is also due Sunday evening. And again, those resources that you have for this week are the lecture and the podcast. You have several readings this week, which I will share with you. Let me pop over to the module in Canvas. So this week you have um, one, two, three, four additional readings. Um, I think two of those are videos to watch and then your chapter 11. Um, so your reading reflection that you have to complete should reflect not only chapter 11, um, but those additional articles. You have one, two, and three additional articles and some, and, uh, some videos. So those are your resources to draw on this week for your threaded discussion and that you can also use to be working on your uh, final task, which is your um, classroom management plan. Okay, good. 
So moving on to slide three. So good classroom management and good instruction. Um, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't be, teach and use your strong pedagogical skills without your management in place. And you can't have your, your classroom, you can't have a beautifully managed classroom unless your pedagogical skills are in place. Um, and most importantly, you've got to meet the needs of your students. So it's a couple of things here to take a look at. Um, your instruction in classroom needs to be engaging. You need to be able to um, keep your audience, being your students, engaged. And there's several ways to keep your students engaged, which we'll talk about a little bit later. You need to be equitable. Um, and that has a couple of different meanings. Um, you need to be equitable in how you design lessons for learning styles. You need to be equitable in how you design lessons for gender. You need to be equitable in how you design lessons for different cultures in your class. And you need to be equitable about how you check for understanding um, and that you are not um, you are not simply checking for understanding for the few students that have their hands raised. Um, your lessons need to be relevant. They need to be relevant to your age group that you're teaching to, development that needs to be relevant developmentally, and it needs to be culturally re relevant to the students that you serve. And it needs to be um, relevant to what the students um, where they are um, in their lives. Your lessons, I should have put this one at the top, your lessons need to be well-planned and strategic. Um, in no way in your teaching career will you be able to wing it. Even in your 20th year of teaching, you should not be winging it at any given moment. Your lessons need to be extremely well-planned and you need to be very strategic about every single instructional task you give to the students. And then lastly, that your instructional tasks are directly related to the objectives. And then uh, um, they need, and those objectives are tied directly to your assessments. And we'll talk about that um, more in the weeks to come as we get into uh, quality lesson planning. But that your students need to see the alignment between the tasks that you're giving them and the objectives of the lesson. And so that everything that they're doing for you in class has relevance because they can see the end, they can see the goal, and they can see the objective. And they can even state the objective. And they can answer the question, I'm doing this right now because I need to be over here, or this is my end goal. Okay, but again, we're gonna talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks when we talk about lesson planning. Okay, slide four. So taking a look, Schindler talks a lot about the uh, socio-political foundations of um, equitable teaching. I want you to take a look at pages 202 and 203. And reading these findings um, on page 203 about, um, about uh, the research around socio-political uh, uh, foundations. So, once you take a look at this, please feel free to pause the lecture right now and pop over and read those findings and then come back 
And so taking a look at these different environments that they've identified, regardless of, how, of where you teach, regardless of the neighborhood that you teach in, whether you teach in Echo Park or downtown LA or Bel Air, regardless of where you teach, what type of environment would you like your future students to learn? So regardless of where their school is placed socioeconomically, what environment should they be learning in? And what about your own kids? What kind of classroom do you want for your future children, your own children that you'll have someday or may have now? What about your younger siblings or your cousins? So our students have the right to learn in those environments. And so what do we desire for our students and how can we create classrooms that have more of these executive or elite characteristics, regardless of where they're, they're, our schools are placed and the socioeconomic situations? What, what kinds of ways can we create classrooms that have more executive and delete characteristics? Okay, so slide five. So consider for a second. So based on your observations that you're completing and the experiences in the classroom, some of you have great experience in the classroom, vast experience. And based on your personal experiences of being a student, and then considering what we've learned thus far in terms of good teaching, I want you to think about the filling in the blank of this following statement that's listed in, in our textbook. So teachers who do blank in terms of pedagogy have fewer management problems. Okay, so just think about that. This is actually going to be a threaded, excuse me, threaded discussion for this week, one of two. So I want you to think on this. And as we get through the lecture, um, you might be able to be, you might have more clarity in, in terms of what you want to say there. And I want you to complete the sentence in terms of something pedagogical. So something that teachers do, okay, in terms of instruction and practice. All right, slide six. And I want to, um, so they all have these priorities in common. They're prepared, they're aware and tuned in. They read the crowd at every moment and they allocate appropriate timing of tasks and use strategies that can gauge, gauge necessary timing. So let's go back and talk about each one of those. So first one, again, students with well, who have good classroom management are prepared. You will lose your audience, being your students, if you are not prepared. And especially the older you stu your students are, they can smell when you're not prepared. And those are good opportunities to act up. Um, they are aware and tuned in. So remember, good teachers are aware of what's going on with their students. They're tuned in 
to their students' needs at any given moment, emotional needs, inst um, instructional needs, whatever, they are aware and tuned in at, 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 as best they can be. And believe me, you will not always be 100% aware or tuned in because there are days when you're going to not feel good. There'll be days when you have uh, things on your mind where you're having problems at home and, and you still have to go to work. But um, you, sorry, my son just walked in. Uh, you, uh, you need to set foundations um, so that when you do have those off days that you have systems in place. Um, the next one, read the crowd. And I mean this to say that you are constantly monitoring your students' um, nonverbal behaviors or their verbal behaviors to, to read their understanding. And so being able to tell when your students get antsy, what that means, what is that telling you? Or when their faces, what are their confused looks? What kind of behaviors do your students exhibit that inform you that you need to shift instruction? In fact, this is one of the teacher performance expectations um, that you'll be um, that you will be assessed on in your student teaching, which is, do you adjust instruction when necessary, and do you know when you need to adjust instruction? And I'm, and that's by reading your crowd, knowing where your students are starting to get confused, noting noticing that that they get, they're getting squirmy. What do you need to shift and change in order to get them back? And this last one is important. So allocating appropriate timing of tasks. And um, this is something that you, the more you give a particular strategy or activity, you'll know more, um, you'll have more data as to how long something will take, but that you're not allocating too little time for an, a task and that you're not allocating too much. And I included a strategy here that I think is a really um, a good one for gauging time. Um, and it's called minute fingers. So you simply ask your students when they're in the middle of a task, um, a group activity, you can do this with cooperative groups, you can do this when students are working individually. And you can simply throw it out as a question. Give me some minute fingers and let me know how much time you how much more time you need. And you simply ask the students to raise their hands with the number of minutes on their fingers to correspond with the number of minutes they need. So let's say you have a third of the class has five minutes on their hands and another third has one minute. And uh, the, the last third has two or three minutes. And so you quickly visually scan the room and see what numbers kids are holding up in terms of minutes that they need indicated with their fingers. And then you just do an average and just say, okay, I will give you two and a half minutes. So if you have a couple of, um, if you have a couple of kids who only need one minute, but mostly are telling you five minutes, maybe you can do four. So you're really honoring um, every student's needs at that moment. And even though you might not be allocating the time that a few students need, maybe because they're already done, at least you're honoring and you're asking them and you're not just telling them you need to be done in the next three minutes. You need to be done in 30 seconds with the timer. Um, that can be a guide, 
But if your students are still working, that's a really great way um, to get a quick survey of how many minutes students need and you're honoring their needs. So minute fingers, put that in your um, strategies toolbox. Okay, so slide seven, creating relative, sorry, relevant content. So we talk, you're going to hear a lot about relevance in your teaching career. So let's just talk about what relevance can mean. It means a few different things. So um, it can, it can mean um, creating a connection between what they already know and what they're learning. So relevance in a lesson could can mean helping students make connection between what they already know. Um, another, uh, another meaning of relevance is um, students can see themselves in the content and in, in your instructional materials. So you are providing a multicultural experience for them and there's relevance because the characters that you're using in the books you're choosing and the um, instructional materials you're providing, the students can see themselves in those stories that you're that you're providing for them in those word problems that they have they have some relevance to them in a multicultural sense. Um, so next, that that students um, the next definition of relevance is that students can um, see how this content applies to them. So it has a relevance to them because they can see how it applies to their lives. Um, and you can determine this in a couple of ways. So you can explicitly tell them um, that this um, that this how this is how you will use this. This is how it relates to your life. Or more importantly, you can this students can self determine um, this relevance and connection to their lives and how they'll use this material through reflection that you allow them to do at the end of a lesson. Um, how are you? How are you asking the students? How will you use this? Okay. So, um, and then looking at page 211, jot down, just take a moment um, and jot down a few ideas um, on your own about how you can um, create relevance in your classroom, create a relevant environment. And I'm gonna pause here to give you a chance to open up your notebooks and jot down some ideas on your own um, in addition to the ones you see on page 219. Okay, we're back. So we're on slide eight. Um, just a reminder that our classes will never be one size fits all. So it's really important that we be mindful of flexibility um, and that our students are coming from so many different places. So many of the behavior issues um, that you have um, are rooted in are, are rooted in perhaps students doing work um, that's either too difficult for them or not difficult enough. And so um, it, think of it logically thinking, of course, that um, it, it, it be that your students' um, behavior is based on the fact that when they are looking at what you're asking them to do, um, there's a helplessness. Um, for because or they feel helpless or they might even feel left out um, because the work is either too challenging or not challenging enough. 
And so one way to um, alleviate that is, is to have uh, lots of constant assessments, constant checks for understanding, plus flexibility in modifications and adaptations. And so those two things together. So you constantly checking for understanding to be aware of where students are in any given part of your lesson or unit. Um, and then also that you are flexible in, <clears throat> with how you um, create modifications and adaptations and allow for those. And understanding that not every student is going to be at the same place. And so we need to adapt and modify our um, tasks and be flexible in doing so and make that part of our planning. It's an absolutely necessary part of our planning um, that we have sort of um, front loaded those modifications and adaptations should we need them. And we will definitely need them if the student has an IEP and we were required by law to provide them. Um, and those modifications, let's not forget, are also for our more ready students, our perhaps gifted students, if they're identified so, um, that we need to always be creating challenges for those students. Um, and it, it might not be that you are providing a lot of extra work for them, but that you're simply walking by and giving them a challenge question in the middle of an instructional task. So you give a task to all of your students and then you walk by to do the two or three that need a challenge and you give them an additional challenge or an additional step in the task, okay? Give them an additional question to answer, a deeper question, a higher level question, okay? So let's, and let's not forget that um, our students, uh, our more ready students uh, need to, to, to feel to have that success psychology as well. Um, so many high school students that we see um, have behavior problems because they were never allowed, um, uh, they were, they have been, they have gone through the system without being challenged. And we know that to be true. Okay, so slide nine. Another way to make our classes more relevant and to promote that success psychology is addressing the learning styles. And addressing our learning styles provides us some really, really quality um, and important data on how our students learn and what it is that they need. So um, this is a great thing to do. And if you, you didn't start it in the beginning of the year, one could certainly start it mid-year, but assessing students' learning styles or creating a space um, to survey your students to determine their learning styles, um, again, provides you with really uh, valuable data. It also will provide you some data on how you can group students in your cooperative learning groups that you create for them. And lastly, the kinds of activities that you uh, want to create. And so you're not gonna have all one kind of learner. And so you need to create instructional tasks um, uh, that address the needs of all different learning styles. And not every task needs to address all of the different learning styles, but that you are being equitable and um, addressing, addressing them um, equ equitably um, throughout your year. Um, one other thing that I think is, is a great tool is providing choice 
in your instructional tasks. So creating options for the students and letting them, letting them, letting them choose which one would best allow them to show what they know. Remember, instructional tasks exist so that students can practice skills that you've taught, and it's them, it's their chance to show what they know. And so I love the idea of providing them a couple of different choices in the kinds of tasks that they can complete. Um, and this, this, this doesn't have to be with every instructional task, but certainly uh, with your culminating tasks and your culminating activities that you um, allow them some different options. Um, and again, it lets them show off in their learning style. So you might give them the end of a unit, maybe perhaps at the end of reading a novel, um, you can give them five different choices on how they can show what they know. Um, okay, next slide, slide 10, introverts and extroverts. Um, understanding which students fall into either of those categories can give you a lot of valuable information, again, around um, how to group your students. Um, and how they, how they work individually versus in groups and how to best support each of those types of students. I remember several years ago, I taught at the arts high school in downtown and I had two ninth grade English classes and one was um, the art students. So all of the students that were, were quote unquote majoring in the art discipline at the arts high school. They were visual arts. And then I had another class period that was ninth grade drama students. And let me tell you, those classes could not have been more different. And they were completely different lesson plans. Even though the curriculum was the same, the material was the same, the standards were the same. How I taught those two classes, one was 90% introverts, art, visual artists, and the other class, 90% of them were extroverts and they were drama students. And so I, 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 I can't tell you how different the lesson planning needed to be. It was like two different preps. Um, and so, because uh, I was committed to really um, addressing the needs of each student, of, of, of each um, type of student. So I'm gonna pause here we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back to shifting gears completely and talking about um, parent conferences. Okay. Um, so shifting gears to parent conferences. So your positive uh, classroom culture that you have created throughout the year needs to be reflected in those parent conferences. Um, and so we need to carry um, your classroom culture practice into your communications with your parents. So we're going to talk about two different, two types of parent conferences today. So uh, one is the meetings that you have with parents and possibly your administrators around student behavior, whether it be progress or challenge. It may even be SSTs that you have to um, sit in on. So that's one type of parent conference. And then the other one is the sort of biannual uh, back to school night. I'm sorry, um, 
parent conferences that you do around or slightly after back to school night. And then um, some of your districts may require that you do a second um, parent conference closer to the end of the year. Um, and so those are <clears throat> ones that you have with all of your families. So we're talking about those as two separate activities, but with the overarching thing that we want our parent conferences to reflect um, the positive environment that we've created in our classrooms with our students. Um, so we, we know, we've read in, the, in our past readings that, that our parents need to be involved in student behavior and they need to be involved in a positive way. And so here are some things. I'm just going to read these bullets and then elaborate when necessary. So um, these are some things that we need to keep in mind when we're going into parent conference. So we want to always begin with something positive. No matter how challenging the parent conference may be, we want to begin with something positive. Okay. Um, you want to communicate early on in the conference that you are a team, that you are not the authority, you are not that style four, but that you are really there to facilitate the child's learning and that part of that team and that facilitation is the parent. Um, you want to bring any of that documentation any contracts that you've created, any agreements or any of the reflections that you've already completed with the student and signed. And you want to always be prepared to share the strategies that you've used thus far with that student. So you want to always share with the parent, here's what I'm trying. And here's the, the, the reflection form that we filled out. Here's the couple of reflection forms that we filled out. So these are the things I've tried so far. And you, always, you also want to share any other documentation that you have from administration. So you always want to come prepared with anything that might be, um, you might have paperwork uh, filed with the office over students' behavior um, um, that you might, you know, might be necessary to have all that documentation as well in front of you. Keep in mind that if an administrator needs to be involved with your parent conference, that you try to meet with the administrator prior to the parent conference so that you can make your strategy very clear with the administrator. So you can say, this is my plan. This is how I plan to approach this possibly difficult parent conference. And this is my, this is my strategy. And I want to share that with you so that you and I are on the same page as about how I plan to approach this. So what you don't want to go in is being, um, you want to be really upfront that your style is going to be one or two. And that um, that your you know that that your administrator knows that so that they can support that style that you're that you're reflecting. Um, make sure that you've always provided for translation if necessary. So um, have a plan in place. Um, your each of your campuses should um, or school sites should always have somebody available for translation, um, a parent representative. Um, and that you've planned for it. And if that person isn't available, that you schedule the um, parent conference around that translation being available. And oftentimes you can call somebody from the district to come and provide translation for you. Um, be specific when talking about negative behavior. So what you don't want to do is to say, Johnny always talks. Johnny's always talking. So be really specific. Johnny seems to talk a lot during math 
at the beginning of the day. Johnny seems to talk a lot um, right after lunch. So be really specific. He seems to talk to the person to the right of him. Um, I have moved him since then, but then I noticed that he was talking to the person across from him. So being really specific and not being, not speaking in broad generalizations, like he always, I always see him. Okay. Um, oftentimes parents will show frustration in parent conferences and that frustration might come out as tears. It might come out in frustration towards the child and aggression towards the child. Um, it might come out in aggression towards you. Um, so parents don't like to hear things about their children. Um, and so we want to uh, a approach them as positively as we can, but we also want to show empathy for our parents and, and the challenges that they have not being present all the time. Um, so we want to always, if a parent shows frustration, always show empathy. I hear what you're saying. Um, I see you, I hear you, those kinds of practices. Um, we always want to shift the conversation quickly and pivot the conversation if you see the parents are getting aggressive either to you or to their child. So if the conference turns into mom yelling at Johnny, um, oftentimes parents will do that so that they are proving to you that they have control over their child. And you want to really quickly, as, as possibly as you can, pivot and, and shift the conversation um, to something more proactive when that happens. Because we really don't can't be in the business in a parent conference just being present when a parent is yelling at their child or yelling at you, which can happen as well. So um, shifting to the positive, where do we go from here? Um, we always want to bring the parent into the part of the solution. Ask them what strategies or what, what do you do at home that seems to help um, in this situation? And do your best to practice listening. Pausing and letting the parent share ideas, concerns, anything that they can share with you in that conference that will shed a little light on this behavior we want to practice that listening and making sure that we are not coming into this parent conference um, as that sort of dictator, authoritative, all-knowing. This is my classroom and these are my rules, but rather coming at it as a team and really practicing listening as best we can. So now shifting the conversation over to those biannual um, parent conferences. Um, or in some of your schools, you have the FABAO conferences. And at the moment, I can't think of what the acronym FABAO means, but um, <clears throat> certain school sites have um, additional funding for additional um, parent conference nights, and those are called FABAO. Um, and so some of your um, uh, lower performing schools have those extra parent conferences nights. So you may have... Um, you may have those. And so these, those fall into this category. So, you know, we're required in parent conferences to share data with parents. And I think it's extremely important to share data, but we don't want to overwhelm them. And we want to take as many opportunities as we can to interpret the data for them and let them know what that means. Um, give concrete examples um, of what the data looks like in the child's work. And so if you're sharing data, 
perhaps always have some student work available to show this is exact. This is the, what I'm talking about when I'm giving you these numbers. Um, always create a space for parents to ask questions. Um, and maybe, maybe it means even providing some guiding questions for parents. Um, <clears throat> maybe they don't know uh, what kinds of questions to ask. And so maybe creating a sheet that you can give parents that has 20, uh, 15 questions on it that they can ask you. Uh, and that's really more of a parent ed piece, just giving them, giving them some ideas about things that they can ask. Um, share with them um, your management philosophy. And you want to clarify that your class isn't loosey-goosey, but that you want to share your share your philosophy, but in a way that still shows that there is some order and control in your class and that it's not just a free-for-all. Um, especially if you have parents that are coming from more traditional backgrounds and they've had that, they would interpret how you run your class as being that way because they are coming from those traditional style four classrooms like we all did. Um, and so you just want to clarify for them that uh, there is still order and control. And the reason why you have do the things that you do are so that you have order and control. Um, you want to always show examples of student work and then be really specific about the goals that you have for that student in relation to that work. So as you're looking at student work with your parent um, or parents, um, pointing out specifically what they're doing and what goals you have for the student in the area that you're, you're referencing. And there's a great link here on this slide 13. Um, there's a great link on some uh, tools for parent conferences and some tips. There's another fantastic model out there um, called student-led conferences. So these are those parent conferences um, that we were just talking about, but they're led by the student. What a wonderful way to empower our kids um, and a great way to make parents feel really proud about their kids talking about what they're learning in school. Because we all know we can't get our kids to talk about what they do in school when they come home. Um, so this allows, um, promotes student ownership of their efforts and progress in class. Um, so students can communicate their goals to their parents and guardians and they can also share the social contracts in class. So they can also um, share with the parents what, what the class is all about in terms of the um, social contracts. Um, one great way to prepare for these student-led conferences is to have simulations in class, especially for your younger students. So practicing um, what, how to run a student-led conference. And this is something that you can prepare a couple of weeks for. And um, obviously all of the student-led conferences are supported by teacher. You are in the room and you are helping facilitate and guide that student-led conference, but that the student really is the shining star. And there's um, uh, a link here. And then there's also a great video of a kindergartner um, doing a student-led conference, which I particularly, um, partic I particularly liked, okay? So we're going to 
um, close tonight with um, the threaded discussion, and I chose to do a threaded discussion on parent conferences because this is uh, the only time we're going to talk about parent conferences. Um, and uh, the beginning of our lecture is involving um, creating uh, relevant and engaging lessons, which we're going to spend the next few weeks on. So I wanted to sort of get a chance to assess you guys on your understanding around um, parent conferences and get you some ideas around parent conferences, um, generate, help you generate some ideas around parent conferences because they can be challenging. Um, and uh, so we're on slide 15 right now. I'll just read the, the discussion uh, scenario to you. So you're a first year teacher in a fourth grade class. Sorry, let me step step aside for a second and sh make sure as you are uh, reading this and responding to it in your initial post and your responses that you're addressing all the details I have included. Everything I've written in this scenario, every detail is critical to the kinds of choices that you'll make in your response. Okay, all right. So first year teacher in a fourth grade class, you have a student in class who has exhibited some challenging behavior. He's been talking excessively to the person sitting next to him and bringing in some drama from recess into the classroom. You've worked with him to complete a contract, but it doesn't seem to be sticking. He's saying he doesn't want to work with certain students, which is chipping away at your class community. He is meeting his standards in ELA, um, but he's a bit behind in math. You haven't seen his parents in a while, but they did come to back to school night. You've received a note from the principal that the mom wants to meet with you. The principal shares that the parent is concerned that you are picking on her son. You had sent an email to mom and dad about your concerns the week earlier. Using all of our readings this week, as well as any supplemental research you have done, share how you would navigate this parent conference. How will you prepare? What will you prepare? What will you need to keep in mind? What will be your goal? What will your goal for the conference be? What do you hope to walk away with from the meeting accomplishing or having accomplished? And how will you involve the student? So again, please make sure you use at least one citation in your initial post. All right, slide 17. So that threaded discussion was over two slides, slide 15 and 16, just as a reminder. The second thing I'd like you to do, and we're going to do a second threaded discussion this week, um, but it's very simple. And... Um, you don't need to reply to anybody else's because I'm going to take all of your posts and create a single document that I will share with everybody. So all I need you to do is reflect on the first part of our lecture around good teaching and classroom management. I want you to complete this sentence and I want you, have, want your, want, want you to use your readings and research to inform your response. And this, this, Pod, uh, this lecture slash podcast. So here, here, complete this sentence. And this is slide five, by the way. Teachers who do blank in terms of pedagogy 
have fewer management problems. Okay? All right. Have a great week. Let me know if you have any questions along the way. Um, enjoy your, your discussions online in the threaded discussion. Um, and uh, I will see you next week.